The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. There's always a lot of interest in learning about the past, and that's a good thing. There's a lot to learn about the past. That's what prompts historians and archaeologists to go and dig up treasures from ancient civilizations and find out what they were like. What were they like? How were they like you and me? How were they different? What did they value? What did they think was important? So if you go to Greece or to Italy, and you look at the ruins of ancient empires, you'll find what they valued. Temples to gods and goddesses, amphitheaters where plays were put on, a coliseum in which entertainment, blood sport, took place. You can learn what those ancient civilizations valued based on what you unearth, what you discover in excavation. Now, some people in any civilization want to be remembered. They want to be seen as valuable, and so they do what they can to last, to have a legacy that goes on. Some people pay to be remembered, so they donate large sums of money to some school or some institution, and there's a building named after them. Or they pay a sculptor to craft a statue that bears their resemblance, so that long after everyone is gone, there still stands this statue, and that person can be remembered. But they had to pay for it. It cost them something. Some people are remembered not because they paid for it, but because of their marvelous deeds. So you unearth an ancient city, and you find people who are remembered because of what they had done, their bravery, their heroism, because of how they helped their city, because of how they conquered enemies. We have that all around us in America, statues. Statues and monuments to people who did marvelous things. Of course, even that memory is a, bit, a little bit frail, something we've learned in the last several years as monuments to people who have been honored and respected for centuries, as monuments are torn down. After all, the opinions of the public are fickle. What we think are marvelous deeds might change from one generation to the next. It doesn't really work to have your marvelous deeds be your legacy. Now, some people are remembered. Some people are held dear in the minds and hearts of their family and friends simply because 
they are their own. These are the people you find in your, in your photograph books, in your recollections of the past. These are the people you find framed on the walls of homes. So you go and you excavate an ancient city and you find ordinary people remembered. Tombstones, grave sites, people with no other description than a name and a date of birth and a date of death. They're remembered not because they did anything spectacular, not because they paid for it, but simply because they were their own. We remember people simply because they're ours. And that's a good thing. It's good to think generations in the past are our own, to hold on to those memories. Now, that can be a bit fraught, because those memories, as you well know, those memories may be good or bad. And yet, those people are remembered. In thinking about what people remember and how people strive to be remembered and what kinds of things are valued by cities and civilizations long gone, you can discover what people think the ideal man looks like. What is the kind of person you want to be? What is the kind of person you want people to think of when they remember you? You can see magnificent displays of heroism, of action, of kindness. You can see all kinds of wonderful deeds of families spanning generations. You learn what people love by the people they remember and how they remember them. Now picture generations from now, picture if you can an excavation of a church, of a churchyard, of a place like this. Imagine sometime, centuries from now, this place is gone, crumbled, as every place does. How will we be remembered? How will you be remembered? Or perhaps more important, this is the question we should consider today, how does God remember? That's what we're aiming at. What does God see as important? What does he see as valuable? What does he hold on to in his mind about his saints? What is the legacy that he wants you to leave for generations and generations, for centuries and centuries? What is it that lasts to eternity? It is not, as so many have thought, it is not buying a legacy. It is not paying for a memory. It is not church dues that get your name on the rolls so that at long last there your name stands, inscribed in stone, perhaps. You cannot pay for God's memory. It is not marvelous deeds, either. In fact, there have been many very churchly people throughout the history of the world, who did mighty works, even in God's name. And yet, Jesus says to those who are faithless, to those who do not trust in him, I never knew you. I don't know what you're talking about. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we sat at your table and ate with you. And he says, I do not know you. Who are you? I have no memory of you. What is it that God remembers? What is the legacy that he wants us to leave for eternity? God remembers faith. God remembers faith. He remembers those who trust in him. He remembers those who have become his children by faith, by believing his promises, by disbelieving everything the world says, by Valuing as negligible everything that the world holds dear, he remembers those who trust in him, who put their hope in him. God's ideal man 
is not someone who paid to be remembered, not someone who has monuments and statues, not someone who has a long list of heroic deeds, but God's ideal man is the ordinary man who repents and believes. God shows his favor to those who simply repent and believe, who may well be forgotten by the world entirely. Think about all of our ancestors, not remembered. Think about all of our forebears in the church, not remembered by the world, not remembered by us, but to whom we owe great thanks. Great thanks to our Heavenly Father because they preserved the faith for us. What does God hold dear? What does God remember? It's ordinary folks like you and me who trust in Him. That is what God wants from us. And in fact, He says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. One sinner who dies to himself, who says, I am not worth anything on my own. One sinner who puts his trust in God, there is more joy in heaven over that one person than over all of the heroic, wonderful people in this world who are remembered by this world. There's more joy in heaven over you. Oh, you, even of little faith, more joy in heaven over you because you have trusted in your Savior. That is what Jesus is expressing in the Beatitudes. That's what we call this passage from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. They're a list of blessings. Blessed are those who, and the blessings go on and on and on. But listen again to who it is that is blessed. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who grieve. Those who are meek. Those who hunger and thirst. Those who show mercy those who have pureness of heart, those who make peace, and those who suffer, who suffer persecution at the hands of the world, those who are thought evil of by everyone around them, those are the ones who are blessed. Now, by all accounts, by all worldly accounts, that is a life not worth living. For anyone who checks any of those boxes on that list, life is not going great. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, never being filled, never being satisfied with what this life has to offer, poor in spirit, not having anything to claim for myself, meek, a pushover, a rug for the world to trample on. No one in this world thinks that that is good. In fact, by all accounts, that is exactly what this world wants to avoid, to drive away from, to suffer, be called names, to be reviled and persecuted, that is not anybody's idea of a good time. Jesus cherishes here the very things that the world flees from as from the plague. The things that the world does everything to avoid. Jesus says, those are the signs of blessing. Those are the signs that you're held dear in your Father's eyes. Those are the signs that you have faith, that you trust the promises and that you will receive eternal blessings. Now, it's important to note here that not all suffering, not all suffering is godly suffering. Not all sorrow is godly sorrow. St. Peter makes it clear that if you suffer for sin, if you suffer because you are an evildoer, that is no glory for you. That is nothing to stake your claim in. You can't say, look, I'm a victim. I'm suffering. That must mean God loves me. If your suffering is on account of your wickedness, than it is to your shame. Jesus is talking about a different kind of suffering here. He's talking about the suffering that comes from being a Christian, from putting your hope in something that the world cannot see, putting your hope in something that the world thinks is little, that the world despises. 
there's lots of suffering that comes from that. And that is the kind of suffering, suffering for the sake of Jesus, that St. Peter says we should consider blessed. And that is what Jesus is telling us today. He's telling us that all of these things, all of these attributes, these characteristics, these experiences in life, suffering, poverty, want, need, all of those things flow from faith. Consider this. How all of these things, all of these blessings come directly from trusting in your Savior. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. That is those of you who think that you have nothing to offer God. Nothing that he could possibly want because all that is in your heart is sin and death. Blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who grieve, not with worldly grief. Oh, I don't deserve this. But grief that because you know your sorrow is on account of sin. Blessed are you who mourn for the sin in your own hearts. For you will be comforted by the blood of Jesus. Blessed are you who are meek. Not you who have nothing to stand up for. Not you who don't care about anything and so are just pushovers in this life. But you who have been humbled under the mighty hand of God, knowing that he will raise you up. That you have a champion who fights for you better than you could fight for yourself. So why bother? Blessed are you who are meek, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing how desperately this world needs it, knowing how much it is lacking, knowing how much the kingdom of God is needed now, knowing that you have no life apart from the righteousness of Christ. Imagine that, picture that, hungering and thirsting for the kingdom of God. Blessed are you, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart. You who have been made pure by the blood of Jesus. That that is what happens in your baptism. You've been washed. You've been made clean. So that although from the outside you might think that you have a wicked, despicable heart like everyone else in this world, you actually have a new heart that beats with the blood of Christ, made pure by his sacrifice. Blessed are you, pure in heart, for you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You who know the peace that you've received by reconciliation with God. You who were enemies with God and who have been restored to his family, blessed are you who can make peace in this world because you know the value of peace. You will be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you do not waver from this faith or this confession, even when you are called names and despised and thought foolish or even evil. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, when they throw you to the lions, when they burn you at the stake. Blessed are you For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, because you are being persecuted for Christ's sake. And he's the one who died for you. He's the one who gave his life for you so that you could live eternally. So that although what you see now in your life as Christians is a list of things that no one would love, you know that you have future blessings promised to you, secured by the word of God, a word which cannot be broken, a word which is always true. Blessed are you. That's why it matters so much for us to gather together as a congregation, because look, on your own in this world, you will not see the blessings. In fact, everyone around you will say, you're accursed. Where's your God? Why doesn't he love you if you put your trust in him? But when we gather together and we hear God's word and we comfort and restore one another by the promises of God, then we can rejoice even when nothing is going our way, even when we suffer all loss on account of Christ, we can rejoice because we know this, that the kingdom of heaven has already been opened for us. 
that we have already received adoption as the children of God. If God, your heavenly Father, has called you his own, then nothing, nothing can harm you, not even death and the grave. What will we be remembered for? What will they say about us when they excavate this church, when they look out in that churchyard? What will they say about us? Let us pray that what they will say is what God says about you. Blessed were they, for they trusted in their heavenly Father and they were not put to shame. Blessed were they, for they heard God's promises and they believed against all hope, against all sight, they believed. And now, blessed are they, for they have received the fulfillment of everything promised to them. That's the great joy of having a churchyard full of tombstones. It might seem to many like a morbid curiosity. You know the kind of morbid curiosity that comes with cemeteries, especially around Halloween. That is not how it is for us. Instead, that graveyard is the place where we get to look out and see all of the names of the people that God has got brought home to himself, the people that God has fulfilled the promises for, the people that he has not let down, that he has not left to the dust, but that he will raise on the last day and bring to his eternal kingdom. Let that be us. Let that be what God, what God says about us and what everyone else says about us as well. Blessed are we, for ours is the kingdom of God. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Please rise as we remember those we have lost this year and who now rest in their, their Savior's arms. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In joyful expectation of the resurrection to life eternal, we remember before the Lord our departed family and friends who have gone before us in faith and all those who are in our hearts and minds this day. Kenneth Schmidt. Viola Gutknecht. Donald Schmidt, Erna Deblois, Howard Schmidt. Let us pray. Almighty God, we remember with thanksgiving those who loved and served you in your church on earth and who now rest from their labors. Keep us in fellowship with all your saints and bring us at last to the joy of your heavenly kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.